Hey, what's going on, everybody? It's Dr. Phil. I need you to subscribe to the Humanity Matters podcast. Subscribe today. Send me an email, humanitymatterspodcast at gmail.com. And let's remember to share love, be kind, be generous. The Humanity Matters podcast. And today we are talking about... Jesus Christ, socialist, capitalist, or someone far better, someone completely better. Uh, Once again, Dr. Philip Fletcher with Humanity Matters Podcast. Welcome, everybody, as we uh, enter into a good discussion. I'll take about an hour uh, or so to uh, engage with an article uh, that I saw coming across my Facebook timeline uh, yesterday. And if you have any questions or anything like that here on uh, Facebook, uh, put the questions in the comment section and I will do my best to get with them. And so uh, what's the context? So a article was published on Sojourner's uh, website and Sojourners is an organization that was started by uh, Jim Wallace and some others. And this article was originally published on January 30th, 2019. So that's the beginning of the year. Uh, context: uh, New Congress was um, coming in, all that, and uh, one of the quote-unquote rising stars uh, in the Congress on the Democratic side. Uh, a self-avowed democratic socialist uh, is Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. And the article, the title was The Biblical Values of Ocasio-Cortez's Democratic Socialism. And the author is O'Berry M. Hendricks Jr. And I uh, saw the article come up. Uh, different people were posting about it. And, you know, hey, want to read it, see what's going on and mention my favorite thing, the Bible. Um, you know, had a intersection about uh, politics and addressing, you know, a a way to address uh, needs of persons in our society. And so I started to read it. And his theory is based on an assertion by uh, the late Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And uh, what the author does is he he implicitly sees Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez picking up uh, the baton from the late Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. and essentially saying in his article, and I quote, there is something wrong with capitalism, unquote. Uh, Mr. Hendricks, or Dr. Hendricks, excuse me, theorizes, and I quote from his article, uh, democratic socialism and the Bible share a strikingly similar vision of what constitutes a fair and just society. Capitalism, however, does not share that vision, close quote. And so I was like, okay. So for a little background on myself, just so that everybody can understand the perspective in which I am coming from, I am obviously a man who lives uh, in America. I am a Christian. I uh, have uh, education. My master's is in theology and apologetics. Um, I love to study uh, the Bible. I have um, a pretty good understanding of Hebrew and Greek. Um, I love history. And so I love to study ancient Near Eastern history. And so obviously Israel slash Palestine, uh, Roman history, um, I have a little bent towards understanding politics and economics uh, only because of the work that I do in working with uh, the poor persons uh, who are living in the city of Conway. Um, And so that's my background. Um, I tend towards uh, a very free market approach. Um, to life and interactions in regards to economics. Uh, But I also seek to understand and read a whole host of things because I want an understanding of what people 
are talking about, where they're coming from, because it's dear to them. And I think you should honor that. So let's define our terms here. This is Dr. Philip Fletcher, Humanity Matters Podcast, and we are discussing Jesus Christ, socialist, capitalist, or someone far better. Uh, if you got a question, hey, hit me up, and I will do my best to uh, engage with you. So, uh, Dr. Hendricks po- points out three things that uh, it's good to have a good def- working definition for as we move forward. Uh, he mentions democratic socialism, he mentions the Bible, and he mentions capitalism. So let's start with democratic socialism. So there's socialism, right? Uh, then there's democratic socialism. Now, socialism, all right, is a uh, concept developed Marx and Engels. Um, uh, and then if you push it a little bit further left, you get into what is called communism. And so you have uh, Stalin and uh, what you've got going on in China and, and so on and so forth. But for socialism, socialism uh, essentially holds that the community, the people are in control of the means of uh, production, distribution and exchange of the items of value. All right. Uh, it's the people. So it's not the government. It's the the people. All right. Um now, according to the website of the Democratic Socialist of America, you can go and check them out, Democratic Socialist of America. I'm pulling their, their definition straight from their website, okay? Uh, Democratic Socialists believe that both the economy and society should be run democratically, okay? To meet public needs, not to make profits for a few. To achieve a more just society, many structures of our government an economy must be radically transformed through greater economic and social democracy so that ordinary Americans can participate in the many decisions that affect our lives. Close quote. So there's three elements in there that we can pick apart regarding the definition of democratic socialism. One is the economy, two is the society, and three is democratically. So economy. So the economy is essentially exchange of goods and services for a particular value. So essentially, um, when you go on Amazon, you're participating in a an economy, if you will. You have a need. Uh, the person on the other side of that screen who's selling something, they have a need as well. Amazon has created this atmosphere, if you will, this market, okay? And in there, you go and you find, say, a book, right? Boop, 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 boop. I find a book. You know, I can pay the Amazon Prime price or I can go through these lists of persons who are selling it and find the price that is best for me. Right. So I pay the money. They give me the book. So their need is met. My need is met. So essentially, that's what an economy is. It's an exchange of goods. Okay. now, from a democratic socialist perspective, when the exchange happens, an exchange happens, okay? Uh, profit is not really the, the motive. It is that a need is being met, all right? Now, we can get into how a person wouldn't make a profit. You know, that's a whole other discussion. So that's the economy. Two, society. So society is how people are organized and how they interact. Now, society has, you know, involved with its beliefs, language, customs, uh, what shapes a society is the geography in which it is in. Um, and so for a democratic socialist, they're not only looking for a, a just economy, they're also looking for a, a just society. Um, how people interact with one another, how they relate, how they view one another, how they address one another, so on and so forth. And then finally, democratically. Democratically, essentially 50 plus one, right? The majority wins the day. All right. You can think about it like when you was in school, if you went to, um, you know, high school and there was the uh, running for student government, the president was the person who got the most votes. That's a democracy, right? If you didn't get the most votes, you didn't win. If you voted for a person who didn't get the most votes, your person didn't win. All right. That's a democracy. 
another way of democracy. You know, you get a hundred people who go into a cafeteria and they say, hey, you want chocolate or vanilla, right? And 51 people say, hey, we want chocolate, right? And the vanilla people are like, dang, we're stuck with chocolate, right? There's nothing I can do about it. I'm stuck with chocolate. Okay, so for democratic socialists of America, again, they believe that the economy and society should be run democratically for the purpose of meeting public needs, not to make profits. So it's needs above profits. Now, if you want to inform yourself, I encourage you some things. These are books I've read. Okay, so I've got familiarity with them. Uh, W.E.B. Du Bois, Black Reconstruction. He is looking at Reconstruction, post-Civil War, um, you know, everything that went on with the Black Codes, Freedom of Society, understanding um, how uh, freedmen were going to have voting rights and participating in the society, uh, Black Reconstruction. He, W.E.B. Du Bois thought very highly of socialism. All right, he went to Russia and, and China to check out uh, their developments of, as well. He had a, a very favorable uh, outlook on socialism. Next, obviously, is Karl Marx. Um, you can read about him. Uh, socialism in America by Irving Howe. And then where do we go from here? Martin Luther King. So where do we go from here? Chaos or community? Uh, Dr. King. And this is where I depart from him, Right in regards to his economic solution for the black community coming out of the uh, Civil Rights Act and the Voting Rights Act, 64 and 65. And then um, he's pursuing now, uh, you know, he's dealing with the Vietnam War and those issues. And towards the end of his life um, was advancing more democratic socialist ideas to address uh, the economic situations that were going on in the black community. So, those are our terms in regards to Mr. Hendricks' first uh, thing he points out regarding um, democratic socialism. So it's Dr. Philip Fletcher, Humanity Matters Podcast. We are looking at Jesus Christ, socialist, capitalist, or someone far better. Now, look at look, defining our terms of social, democratic socialism. So what about the Bible? So Mr. Hendricks brings up the Bible. All right. So he's not looking at the Old Testament. He's not looking at the New Testament. He said the Bible. OK, so I'm taking him at his word in his understanding that democratic socialism and the Bible have the similar vision. OK. OK, so let's get our understanding about the Bible. So the Bible is a collection of writings. It's reflecting an understanding about God and humanity, okay? Um, when I'm saying God, I'm speaking of God who has revealed himself uh, originally to the Jews, right? And their understanding of God being Yahweh, Jehovah, El, um, you know, Elohim, that, you know, that Hebrew word for, uh, for his name. And so that's who I'm coming from. So I'm not talking about Allah, I'm not talking about uh, any other type of God. I'm talking about the God who is revealed in uh, the Jewish scriptures, which would be the Torah. All right. And then the same God who's revealed himself is explained in the New Testament as Jesus Christ. OK, so um, so these writings, these collections of writings or books uh, originate from an ancient Near Eastern perspective. OK, so. Israel, Palestine, Egypt, Babylon, Persia, uh, modern day Iran, you know, Turkey, Rome, all, you know, all in this area, the Mediterranean, you know, this is where the Bible is being uh, written and formed into what we have uh, today. So now Christianity has three main branches. You have the Orthodox, you have the Catholics, you have the Protestants. So the Orthodox their Bible has 73 books. The Catholics has 72 books. And if you are a Protestant, you have 66 books. Now, you know, the difference in here, you know, that's an in-house debate. They're all good books at the end of the day to explain redemptive history. So 
The intent of the scriptures is to communicate the redemptive work of God revealed in Jesus Christ. And so God is is working through Jesus Christ to redeem not only humanity, but also all of creation. Um, and so the veracity of these, these books is dependent on three events, the birth or the incarnation of Jesus Christ, who is God, the death of Jesus Christ, who is God, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who is God. If those aren't true, then you can like, I mean, who cares about the Bible? Like for real. Okay. Um, but needless to say, this is the book that Mr. Hendricks is referring to. So when he's talking about the vision of democratic socialism in relationship to the vision of the Bible, we have to ask ourselves: is the vision of democratic socialism the same as a similar vision of what is revealed in the Bible? Because a vision is ultimately uh, something that is going to, that is intended to be reality. And we see at the end of revelation, there's a vision um, shown to John, the apostle is what John sees the same vision that the democratic socialist sees. Okay. So we talked about democratic socialism. We define that term. We define the term of the Bible and now we define the term of capitalism. So essentially, capitalism is economic understanding. The free market depends on the interaction of two consenting parties. All right. To satisfy a need or a self-interest with limited government intervention. Think about that. The free market or capitalism is economic understanding that two persons can interact with one another. This person has a need. This person has a need. They exchange something and both walk away like, hey, happy. All right. And there's limited intervention. So there's not some side guy coming in and saying, hey, you need to do this. Or, hey, you need to do this before you interact with this person. Or, hey, you need to do this before you can sell this. These two persons can just interact. Or these two communities can interact. Or these two states. Or these two nations. All right? There's some rules, obviously. Don't steal. Don't harm one another. You know, those kind of things. Don't defraud one another. Just interact with one another. Um, to meet each other's self-interest. So, if you want to read some good books on the free market capitalism, I recommend to you Milton Freedom, Friedman, uh, Thomas Sowell, or Walter Williams. Great guys. You can also read Adam Smith. Uh, you can read Hayek. Uh, some other good uh, readers that you can uh, read up on. Um, also, if you want to read something about the Bible, read the Bible. Read the Bible. Different authors, same message. But read the Bible, get familiar with it. So, whoo! So, what do I agree with Mr. Hendricks? I found two agreements with him, and I think it's also important that we having a discussion about a particular piece of literature, or you're reading something from somebody, or you're hearing somebody in discussion. Where can you find agreement? Obviously, because you're also going to find some disagreement. So. I agree with him on this. Governments should have policies addressing the needs of the poor. I agree. Two, leaders should strive for justice by prioritizing the plight of the impoverished. I agree. I I do it all day, right? To fight for those who can't fight for themselves, uh, who don't have the opportunity to voice their opinion. How can you create space for Uh, the impoverished so that they can advocate for their situation. Where do I disagree with Mr. Hendricks in this article? And once again, I am referencing the article at uh, Sojourners. You can go to sojo, S-O-J-O dot net and look up the January 30th, 2019 article titled 
the biblical values of Ocasio-Cortez's democratic socialism. And I'm wondering, does Congresswoman Cortez have the same vision that the Apostle John has, or more importantly, that Jesus Christ has? Are they the same? So, where do I disagree? Now, these are going to be some things where you're going to be like, Philip, did you really say that? And yeah, I am saying that. Uh, because if we look at reality, um, I think it would bear itself out if we would be honest. So one, I disagree that leaders should strive for equality. I don't know what that means. After much reading over the years, um, and I read a lot in what would be the social justice type world, um, my degree in African-American history, um, my understanding of this word equality, um, I disagree that leaders should strive for equality. Leaders should strive for creating a, a atmosphere in which people can be free. Why? Because we're all created in freedom. We're made in image and likeness of God. We're equal at that level. We're all human beings. We're fundamentally equal. Where we are not equal is in our opportunities and outcomes. And that's for a host of reasons, all right? Uh, depending on where you were born, depending on the geography of where you were born, depending on the political system in which you were born, the economic situation in which you were born, uh, the history of the place in which you were born, the current context, uh, the available education, the available businesses, um, the available education that you have, what your own hearts and desires are. Um, equality of opportunity and outcome is, is a great dream, but we know growing up, even in a family, especially if you have a sibling, you know, you and your sibling more than likely are going to take two divergent paths. Even if you have the same opportunity in the same house, there's a higher possibility that you're going to end up one higher than the other. Just something to think about. Two, uh, disagree an equitable social order. Again, what does that mean? An equitable social order. Especially in relationship to his reference to <coughs> the Bible. And we'll see that there's a lot of difference that's existing even in the Bible. Third, with democratic socialism, I disagree because he's, democratic socialism seeks to build more humane society, not by force or compulsion, but by way of the age old democratic practice of one person, one vote. And that's a quote from the article. But I have to ask myself, what happens when the majority decide in a way I believe goes against my principles and beliefs, then what? The question I have to ask myself is, based off of this, what Mr. Hendricks is proposing, could a democratic socialist walk into the theocratic society of Israel and say, we don't want it to be this way, we want it to be another way? Something to think about. Next, um, the author states that capitalism has caused, quote, immeasurable suffering, systematic oppression, and social alienation, close quote. Again, I disagree with him. And then finally, I disagree because he asserts that capitalism has sponsored slavery. But the historical record, now this is world history, okay? World history. The historical record demonstrates slavery was operating prior to the conceptualization of capitalism and the free market. You can read the Bible. I challenge you to go read the Quran. I challenge you to go read a non-religious text that deals with the history of a civilization. And you can identify in a non-capitalistic situation that there was slavery. In monarchies, in uh, oligarchs, in 
situations in which land aristocracy was a prevailing thing, you had the existence of slavery. So to assert that capitalism is the reason for slavery, especially here in America, is just not historically accurate. So at the end of his article, he asks us to take the Bible seriously. So let's take the Bible seriously. So this is Dr. Philip Fletcher with the Humanity Matters podcast, and we are discussing Jesus Christ, socialist, capitalist, or someone far better. I am interacting with an article uh, that is available on the Sojourners website, that is sojo.net, and the title of the article was The Biblical Values of Ocasio-Cortez's Democratic Socialism, and I'm ultimately asking myself, does Congresswoman Ocasio-Cortez have the same vision as Jesus Christ? Okay. Uh, So the historical context of Judaism, it's a theocratic government. All right. So Israel, the nation came about in response to cries and groanings and oppressions. All right. I'm giving you all a real, just bear with me here. All right. Um, God comes down. He visits this Jewish man named Moses and says, Hey, I've, Come down because I've heard the cries and groans of my people by reason of the taskmasters of Egypt. You're going to go back. You're going to redeem the people, bring them back. Okay. And they're going to be in a land where they're going to worship me. That's, that's what it is. Exodus chapter uh, three. The reason they're being redeemed is so that they can worship God. That is the vision. Okay. That a people are redeemed for the purpose of worship. Okay. So God, through Moses, Moses acting as a savior, if you will, uh, redeems the people. A whole bunch of plagues happen. They're brought through the Red Sea. If you've seen the Prince of Egypt, you know what I'm talking about. Okay. They end up headed towards the promised land. All right. Uh, A generation dies off because they're messing things up. All right. They're at the uh, Mount Sinai. They get the law. Um, they come down, they're worshiping calves and golden calves and things like that. Moses gets mad. He breaks the commandments, right? He pleads for God not to destroy the Israelites. They wander around in the, in the desert for like 40 years. And then Moses dies. He can't enter the promised land. Joshua takes over room to enter the promised land. So in that, the law is given twice. Okay. So you read. Um, Exodus, the law is given, Exodus chapter 20, 21, and then it's given again, and that's what it's called Deuteronomy. It's the second giving of the law. All right, that law is their constitution, if you will. The Ten Commandments, uh, you read um, Leviticus, that is the how the Levites were to um, conduct themselves. There's a big old census that happens, that's Numbers. Deuteronomy, the law is given again, all right? It's how they were to worship God, how they were to treat one another, uh, how they would deal with money, how they were to deal with worship, how they would deal with um, entering into the quote unquote holy place um, to worship God and how they were to deal with the poor, widows and orphans, and yes, even immigrants. All right. But it's a theocratic government. OK, so they didn't have no king. A king did not come until. Uh, the last judge, who was Samuel, all right? So some years go by, some decades go by. They don't have a king. Their king is God, okay? And God every so often sends what's called judges. And so you've got uh, um, these different judges, you know, Samson, that's a famous one. Deborah, it's another great one. Um, But eventually they want a king, and so they get a king, All right. And so there's a distribution of power. All right. You've got the king. You've got the priest who goes into the holy place and does all the worship. You got the prophet who holds the king accountable. All right. So there's a that going on. But it's still a theocratic government. It's only one way. It's only one way. All right. No majority can be like, hey, 
you know what? On that thou shalt not steal thing, I think if we can get, what's there, 12 tribes. So if we can get seven tribes to outvote, you know, let's hold a vote. There was none of, there was none of that. Okay. It, it is what it was. That, why? So that the people could worship God. That's what that constitution was for. And they had to do everything in accordance with that constitution. And if they didn't do everything in accordance with that constitution, the Ten Commandments, the law, God was like, I'm going to visit you and punish you. And that's what happened. So if you keep reading, another king came from another land, Babylon. All right. Modern day Iraq. All right. So this King Nebuchadnezzar came and God used Nebuchadnezzar to punish Israel. Why? Because they didn't follow the constitution. Just follow me here. I just, I'm trying to make it so that it's contextual to today. All right. But let's go back. The other thing that my democratic socialist friends need to deal with is that Israel, the land they existed on, it was captured through military conquest. So what you read, okay, the Canaanites, the Parasites, the Jebusites, all the sites, okay, as I like to say, all right, they experienced a conquest. God moved the people through to conquer the land. And that land was then distributed to the individual tribes. And those tribes distributed to the families, so on and so forth. Okay. But here's the other thing about the land. The land differed. All right. So some, some tribes got land near the coast. Some tribes got land in the hillside. Some tribes got land in the lowlands. So I'm, can can we think about in an agricultural society, think about that too, all right? How would that impact the wealth and the prosperity of each tribe? If you are a tribe that is nearer to the coastlands, what does that mean? If you are a tribe that's nearer water, but you're inland, what does that mean for your crops? If you are a tribe where you're more on the lowlands, what does that mean? If you're more on the plains or on the mountains, what does that mean? So there's going to be some, dare I say, inequity from one tribe to the next next in the production of land. We have to take that into consideration. There's a whole lot going on within these texts that I don't think a lot of us take the time to consider. So what about the legal structures and regarding the poor? So um, one of the big texts is Leviticus 25. I encourage you to go read it. It's about the Jubilee. They never practice it, actually. So every 50 years, land was supposed to be returned to its original uh, owners or families of who was originally given to. That land may have been sold. Somebody may have been hit on a hard time. But eventually there was supposed to be a like resettlement, if you will. Not a reparations, but a resettlement of things be turning to normal legal structures property thou shalt not steal so there was this understanding that people had property that belonged to them and could not be taken away from them even down to their cloak or their tunic again We need to consider the income and wealth in an agricultural context. So, uh, Mr. Hendricks, again, this is the article uh, regarding the biblical values of Ocasio-Cortez's democratic socialism on January 30th, 2019. Um, He outlines four concerns of democratic socialism asserting support from the Bible. All right, so he mentions healthcare for all, fair wage, fair treatment of workers and the context of Jubilee and Leviticus 25. So let's hit on these quickly. So he mentions health care for all. I would encourage you to read the Bible 
in the Gospels, because he references Jesus Christ, and C, Jesus does not heal all in Israel. That's a tough one. Jesus doesn't heal everybody. Next, fair wage. There is a difference between a fair wage and no wage at all. There are texts in the scripture, all right, where it does mention where persons do things. They build their houses in righteousness, build rooms and great things, <coughs> and people receive no wages for them. So there's a difference between a fair wage and no wage. If I have somebody do some work for me and I don't pay them at all, like at all, that's theft. But if someone works with me and we agree, right, this is going to be paid this much, so on and so forth, whatever, I have an obligation to pay that person. There's a fair treatment of workers. Okay? Again, how are people being treated in a workplace? I think it's pretty safe to assume that even from a capitalist perspective, the majority of persons here in America are being treated pretty fairly. And then finally, the context of Jubilee and Leviticus 25. So here's the big thing. When you read Leviticus 25 or the, any number of commands that are given uh, in the Old Testament and even in the New Testament regarding the poor, the immigrant, the widow, it's not directed towards government. What it's directed to are the individuals and the families. I would ask you to take that into consideration regarding the democratic socialist vision and wondering, is it equal to the vision of the Bible? So we have to ask ourselves, is Jesus a socialist or a capitalist? So we see during the ministry of Jesus Christ, Jesus is announcing the kingdom of God. He's announcing Jubilee. You can read Luke chapter uh, four. He's referencing Isaiah 61. But during his ministry, this three and a half year ministry uh, in Israel, which was under Roman occupation. Jesus doesn't speak about Caesar. He doesn't speak about Roman treatment of the Israelites. What he does is he addresses the Jewish nation and the people, and how they were to treat one another, and that how the church was to respond to the needs of those who are homeless, those who are strangers, those who are in prison, those who were sick. We read further on in the book of James how the church is to respond to those who are impoverished and how um, it's not enough to say, God bless you, but we are to respond so pure religion, undefiled, is caring for uh, poor and the widows, those who are in need and keep oneself unstained uh, from the world. So we must ask ourselves this, since we're being asked by Mr. Hendricks to take the Bible seriously. We must take the Bible seriously because the root of these commands are based on God's redemption of Israel out of Egypt in the Old Testament. If you read the Old Testament, I would encourage you, my democratic socialist friends that make this appeal, go see the reason why the poor were to be cared for and why immigrants were to be cared for. It was not rooted in um, an earthly need. It was rooted in a redemption that occurred. Moving forward, the reason the poor were to be cared for, the admonition of Jesus Christ, 
because it was rooted in a redemption that was rooted even more so in his resurrection. So does democratic socialism have as its vision, a redemptive vision that leads people to God? Because that's the Bible's redemptive vision. Are they headed the same direction? So moving further, um, again, uh, moving further concerning Jesus Christ, uh, his historical context was first century Palestine, which was under uh, Roman occupation. All right. The Israelites were anticipating the arrival of God. Zion. Shalom. Okay. Uh, If you want to read uh, Jesus' best interaction with the poor, read the Gospel of Luke. Um, Democratic socialism would have us believe Jesus urged in revolutionary language the intervention of the Romans to support the poor. You won't find it. You won't find it in the Gospels. You will not find it um, in Paul's letters. You won't find it in Peter. You won't find it in Jude. You won't find it in James. You won't find it in 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. You won't find it in Revelation. You won't find it in any of the New Testament letters. If anything, a fair and just society, according to Jesus, was accomplished through the people, the church, who align with the vision and reality of the God who proclaimed. All right, whom he said was his father. So, but what about capitalism? Because, you know, was Jesus a socialist? No. Was it Jesus a capitalist? You know, we could equally... Uh, we can, just like we can't find a socialist Jesus, we can't find a, a capitalist Jesus. Uh, we find few admonishments of the rich. So there is the case of the rich man and Lazarus. Lazarus goes to paradise. The rich man goes to hell, right? He ignored uh, Lazarus in his earthly life. Uh, there's the case of the young rich ruler because he wanted his riches more than following Jesus Christ. Now, you have to also acknowledge this. There are other times Jesus interacts with the wealthy and he doesn't even address their wealth at all. It's not even an issue for him. But then we have someone like Zacchaeus. All right. You know, Zacchaeus, the wee little man who's up in a tree. He was too short. Couldn't see Jesus. Got up in a tree, saw him. You know, Jesus said, hey, come to my, I'm coming to your house. Right. And Zacchaeus is so moved. Right. He's going to restore uh, what he defrauded people four times, in fact. All right. And he was a tax collector. Jesus didn't ask him to do that. Not at all. But salvation came to the house and that salvation caused him, moved Zacchaeus to do something. All right. So an argument could be made also that the rich were celebrated. All right. So you got the prodigal son. You got a rich father through a party. The issue wasn't the wealth. The rich, the issue was his son being welcomed home. Okay. But there's a long admonition against the rich. You can read this in James chapter five, verses one through six. And I would encourage you to read that, especially if you're a business owner, especially if you have people that you employ, I would strongly encourage you to read that um, because it causes you to, once again, put in perspective uh, that you should not prioritize people over your pro- uh, profits over people. So Jesus offers no command or instruction on the establishment of a free market system. So rather, he addresses the people within their current economic situations and he warns against the prioritization of holding wealth. All right. This is an admonition which is applicable to rich communists, rich socialists, rich democratic socialists, Elizabeth Warren, Bernie Sanders. Yeah. Rich Democrats, Joe Biden. Yeah. Rich capitalists, Trump. Yeah. All, you know, all y'all rich people, 
right? Got too much money, I don't even know what to do with. All right, but it's yours. I'm not going to take it from you. you. You did what you needed to do to earn it. So, got 15 minutes left. So, questions I have for my Democratic Socialist friends is this. If Democratic Socialism and the Bible hold a similar vision, explain the disparity in land granting in the book of Joshua. Not every tribe got the same type of land or location. Explain that. Second question. If democratic socialism and the Bible hold a similar vision, could democratic socialists go into the biblical Israelite culture and demand by majority vote equal distribution of land in contradiction to God's instruction. Could they go do that? Could you do that? My third question, if democratic socialism and the Bible hold a similar vision, how can you account for the disparity in agricultural production on the basis of the land? Four, If democratic socialism and the Bible hold a similar vision, how could you carry out the Jubilee mandate in this American culture? Are you willing to walk off your land so that the Native Americans can have it back? Are you willing to shut down your businesses and give your land that land back? Are you willing to shut down that school you go to, that church you may worship at? That vacation spot you may go to. I'm asking. So, reading the, the, going back to the definition that was proposed by the Democratic Socialists of America and looking at the definition of socialism, it prioritizes community ownership in regards to the production, distribution, and exchange, right? So the question I ask for my democratic socialist friends is, is it possible for you to develop an Amazon type website? Where there's shared ownership. And where the money that is secured because of what is sold, could you distribute that equally? So what I mean is this, if four of you went in and created a platform like an Amazon that did similar things, you know, you innovated a little bit. Could you show Americans what that would look like as far as shared ownership? Why do you need government to take more from Amazon or from Facebook or from any of the other wealthy people? Why not just go ahead and create something new and demonstrate what, it would look like as far as shared ownership in regards to healthcare. Is it possible for democratic socialists who are lawyers, doctors, nurses, CNAs, um, LPNs, so on and so forth, you know, persons who've got that training and experience. Could you come together and create a hospital that provides health care. What would that look like? Next, for my educators who are democratic socialists, what would it look like for you to create a school that's free? So that anybody could go there. Now I got it. We got public schools and all that kind of stuff. Right? But what if you created a school, university setting, where nobody had to pay for it to go there? Ultimately, could you create, and you have the opportunity in America, because the freedom to do so, to create institutions within America which reflect your vision so people can observe and experience the veracity of your claims. 
I think it would be a great experiment. So Jesus was neither socialist or capitalist. He was someone and is someone far better who announced a system which is far better and exceeds any of these isms. He's someone far better that announces complete freedom, socially, economically, politically, religiously. Because the system that he announces is not of this world. It's a far better city. It's a city that has a festal gathering of angels and men and women and a city that is built on compassion, is built on justice, is built on freedom, is built on redemption, is built on the resurrection. And so the Jesus who is socialist does not exist, not in the Bible. And the Jesus who is capitalist does not exist, at least not in the Bible. And a Jesus who was socialist and capitalist did not exist in history either. Israel was not a socialist system. It was not a capitalist system. It was a nation that reflected a system that reflected something far greater and far uh, sweeter and who worshiped a God who redeemed his people out of Egypt. And to get even further, it's redeeming a humanity out of this earthly Egypt in order that we could be in the true and real promised land uh, where he is God and we are his people. And just like it said in Exodus 3, where we could worship him and as it says in John, in spirit and in truth. So, hey, these were my thoughts on Jesus Christ, socialist, capitalist, or someone far better. Uh, again, you know, hey, chime in. I'll put this video up. You can respond. You can say, Philip, you're way off base. You can agree. Hey, have a discussion. Uh, as always, if you leave a comment here on uh, Facebook, just keep it civil. But hey. I appreciate y'all. This has been a Humanity Matters podcast. And remember, remember to live in hope. We can do the impossible. And above all, remember to love. This has been Humanity Matters podcast, discussing and reflecting on theology, philosophy, leadership, and nonprofits. For more information, visit our website, philipfletcher.org or you can shoot us an email leave us a comment email us at humanitymatterspodcast at gmail.com like us on YouTube under Humanity Matters subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Spotify or Google Play if we remember to live in hope we can do the impossible